Hi, and welcome to our first episode in our new summer series, Happy Hour Gets Holly Weird, where we talk true crime cases and paranormal activity in La La Land, Tinseltown, the city of angels herself. Let's get Holly Weird. Hi, I'm Cassie. And I'm Tiffany. And this is Happy Hour Gets Weird. Before we get into the episode, Tiffany and I just want to talk about what the new normal for us is and what it should be for everybody. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter to us and all Black Lives Matter, period. We should be working as a society and a country toward equality. We should already be at equality, (laughs) Um, but we're not. And that is, um, like, I can't even find the words. I can't, like. Sad and inexcusable. It, yes, it really is. Um, we should be working towards a new normal, the new normal, where we each support each other, respect each other, love, and celebrate our differences. White privilege exists. Systemic racism exists. And as white people, I benefit from that. All white people benefit from it. And we need to work together and be part of the solution because we created the problem. And we know this is a marathon and not a sprint. And Tiffany and I are making a commitment to educate ourselves, stay aware, stay active, and do better. Perfectly said. And that's how we feel. And also, um, fuck Nazis. Definitely. And also, I just want to say for the record, you know, Tiffany and I have been in, considered ourselves um, an entertainment podcast and an entertainment platform. And we decided in the very beginning that we were going to kind of check our politics at the door um, just for entertainment purposes because we wanted this to be, you know, a fun space. And I feel like the time's come where we can't really do that anymore. Um, And racism should transcend all politics. Every single person, regardless of their politics, should be anti-racism. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And that's our stance. Yeah. And we are going to do our best moving forward to make sure that we are continuing our efforts to educate ourselves. Educate the people around us. And to do right by people who deserve it. Yes, absolutely. And recognize our white privilege and dismantle white supremacy in our systems and the systems um, that we benefit from. So also, please vote. Fucking vote. Like now more than like you've always needed to vote. But now please vote. Vote. That is a step towards change is voting the people that actually give a fuck about us and a a fuck about black people a fuck about hispanics a fuck about asians just they give a fuck about women women equality across the board yes for everybody yes so please vote 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 this november it's so important if you just fucking vote all right well do you feel better (laughs) No, I don't feel bad. <laughs> Me neither. But I'm happy that we said it. I, it needed to be said. Um, so just know that we are working 
to educate ourselves and be better and do better. As white women, as white feminists, and as white people, and as white parents too. I mean, it involves our homes and our kids, and and, and we are making a commitment for the long haul to be better. So, and that's, I don't even fucking know how to end that. Let's cheers at the beginning. Okay. Cheers to that. Cheers. This is our first cheers at the beginning of an episode, but I feel like we needed it. Yeah, we needed it because I, yeah. Well, okay. This is our first episode in our first ever series. Mm -hmm. Our Holly Weird series. Yeah. So basically for this series, we're going to be discussing true crime, paranormal cases, all of our normal, weird, wonderful shit that we like to talk about, but it's all going to have a connection to Hollywood, celebrities, LA, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and our first episode is um, our first. So we ha- previously at the very beginning, when we very first started the podcast, we talked about um, a movie that was cursed and we talked about Rosemary's Baby, the movie made about such a fun episode yeah about that movie being cursed because they you know talked about the antichrist and the devil and um it cursed the movie well we're actually talking about another movie that was cursed before you say the movie we're doing today mm-hmm. i just want to take a minute to appreciate how many times you got freaked out by me saying hell satan <laughs> <laughs> i actually i think i'm desensitized now because i actually said it the other day to a person that pissed me off fantastic so um yeah I'm desensitized or maybe I just um hell satan now maybe so I mean either way good for me (laughs) good for me good for satan (laughs) so I uh we are going I and I don't know if this movie's cursed I said that really like loosely I don't know if this movie's cursed when we're done with this you decide is it cursed is it something else I don't know so we're going to be talking about the movie released in 1955 a rebel without a cause Mm. or rebel without a cause so I'm going to start off with my sources and that's Britannica.com rebel without a cause patch.com Laurel Canyon the dark side of rebel without a cause and Hollywood Reporter Natalie Wood, uh, Christopher Walken. Mm. So this is very interesting, and I learned a whole bunch of stuff I didn't know. So I hope, Tiffany, you learn, and also the listener, you learn some new stuff too. I know nothing, so I can only go up from here. I know. Perfect. That's the perfect place to be. (laughs) The bottom? Yes. (laughs) Because you can only go up. You can only go up from here. Released on October 27th, 1955, Rebel Without a Cause starred James Dean, Natalie Wood, Sal Mineo, and was directed by Nicholas Ray. Rebel Without a Cause is a movie about teenage angst and rebellion. It's a very interesting movie. Uh, We could do a whole episode on the themes of the movie, but that's not why we're here. Have you seen it? I don't think so. Have you seen it? Mm Mm-hmm. I want to watch it. It's really good. It's It was considered progressive for 1955. I'm not going to say the movie was cursed, but three of the main characters and a supporting actor all died before their time, 
and some even died under mysterious circumstances. On September 30th, 1955, about a month before the movie was to be released, James Dean left his rented log cabin and headed towards Salinas, California to a rally racetrack in his new Porsche Spider, which he had number 130 painted on it and Little Bastard are all also painted on his car. Oh my God, I love it. Headed towards Paso Robles, California for dinner, James was driving westward down Highway 46. Simultaneously, a 23-year-old Cal Poly student was heading eastward intending to make a left from Highway 46 to Highway 41. They were heading towards each other. Donald Turnip Speed. No way. Yes way. That's not a name. Yes, it is. And he got in a car accident. Isn't that wild? Didn't see James's silver Porsche and made the turn just at the same time that the silver convertible was driving by the two intersecting highways and they hit nearly head on. Donald received minor in- injuries. Rolf Wetterich mm-hmm. was James's mechanic. He was riding shotgun with James. He was, I say, thankfully thrown from the car because he survived with only, uh, I say with only, but with serious head injuries and a broken leg. James, who was driving the car, uh, remained in the car and was killed upon impact. He was 24 years old. Could you imagine being the Cal Poly guy driver? I mean, it's involved in that accident. No, he was um, cleared of all charges. Well, yeah, it was just an accident, but I'm sure he felt still feels horrible. Yeah. Yeah. That is so young, 24, damn. Mm-hmm. So before, so when the movie came out, he was already deceased? Mm-hmm. A month, a month before the movie was released. And he was one, I think one of, or if maybe one, the only actor to ever receive two consecutive awards. Posthumously? Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's I know. fucking wild, man. I know. Okay, so interestingly, mm-hmm. the curse, and I say that with quotes. I don't. Seemed, <laughs> seemed to live on with his car. <gasps> Although the car was totaled, like beyond totaled, it was mangled. It was a pile yeah. of twisted metal. It was very scary. It's, I've seen the picture. It's scary. A mechanic wanted it for historic value. While being loaded on a tow truck, the car rolled back and broke both of the mechanic's legs. Are you serious? As a heart attack. As two broken legs. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yes. Okay. So then the engine of the car was sold to a doctor who had a hobby of racing cars and he mounted that engine into his own race car, driving it, spun out of control. The doctor died. No way. Yes. Then somebody else purchased two of the tires. Don't touch the car. Yeah, but then also mounted those two tires on their car while driving. Both tires blew. Car spun out of control. They received injuries. They did not die. Finally, the car was shipped to New Orleans for display. And for no apparent reason, it broke into 11 pieces. 
totally just broke into 11 pieces. The car then was sent around the country for for a promotional tour and it disappeared in route from one place to the next and it's never been seen <gasps> since. What's that car movie? What's that car movie? Christine. And then it became the star of Christine. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. That is 100% true. <laughs> um, I understand that people don't want to be superstitious, but in the words of Michael Scott, maybe you should be a little stitious. Um, I am absolutely 100% like, superstitious. Don't buy the car the third time. No. I no. don't know. <laughs> just be a little stitious. Yeah, uh, just a little <laughs> stitious. That's great advice. He doesn't often give out very... Very good advice, but that good advice for Michael Scott. <laughs> so Nick Adams, who was friends with James Dean, they met on the site of a soda commercial. He played a supporting role in Rebel Without a Cause. His name was Chick, and I believe he was part of like the Friends gang. If you know, if you've seen it, you know the the Friends click I'm talking about. On February seventh, nineteen sixty eight. Nick was supposed to meet his friend and attorney, Erwin Roeder, for dinner. When he didn't show, Roeder, worried, headed over to his house. Roeder saw his car in the garage and, fearing the worst, broke a window and climbed inside Nick's house. He found him slumped up against the wall in his upstairs bedroom, deceased. He was fully dressed, including boots, and a phone was within reach. What the fuck? His autopsy concluded he had paraldehyde and sedatives in his body. There was no needle marks. The doctor performing the autopsy determined that he had enough sedatives to knock him unconscious instantaneously. Which would make sense if the phone was there, you know, and he was already unconscious before. He was just taking sedatives before he went to dinner? I mean, I don't know. It's a mystery. Just doesn't seem like a drug that you would do before you go to dinner. That's why it's a mystery. That's very bizarre. His death was neither ruled an accident nor a homicide. You can do that? I the, Supposedly, that's what this uh, coroner did. Friends think there was foul play. Obviously, Tiffany thinks there's foul play. I think there... I mean, I, there could be I'm foul play. I'm the friend that they're talking about. <laughs> um. He was 36 years old. Oh, my God. Yeah. Also, another coincidence or not. Not. Roder, the uh, Nick's attorney and friend. Yeah. He happened to be an ex-LAPD detective. Okay. And while he was at the house, he found some paperwork that he thought Nick wouldn't want anyone to see. <gasps> so he grabbed the paperwork brought it home with him for safekeeping. Sorry about that pause. <laughs> I lost my spot. <laughs> and a month later, him and his wife no. were gunned down <gasps> in their driveway. Shut the fuck up. Totally. I can't find any more information. I searched the internet high and low. I can't even find that a case oh ever existed God. like that. So, 
Whoa. Yeah, I'm he telling He was a former cop and then a lawyer? Yeah. Dude, that guy, I wish he would have written a biography before he was murdered. Mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of a rude thing to ask him at this point, but. I mean. His life was probably, had so many crazy stories, right? I know, I know, Obviously. yeah. Whoa, that's tragic. How sad. I know. Oh my God. Is it connected? Who knows? And then moving on to Sal Mineo, who played Plato in the movie, on February 12th, 1976, Sal was returning home from play rehearsal and after parking his car at his West Hollywood apartment, an assailant jumped out and stabbed him in the heart directly in the heart and he died instantly what why was he his murder went unsolved i'm assuming he was not a vampire who the fuck stabbed somebody in the heart that's so specific yes i don't know it's disturbing it's weird it's it's very weird Mm -hmm. like that's not typically how someone's murdered maybe it was buffy the vampire slayer she thought she was on a set (laughs) yeah um see you in hell cassie (laughs) okay well yeah i won't be the only one (laughs) so his murder went unsolved for about three years although the police speculated it might be a hate crime related to his open bisexuality so oh man so fucked up i know three years later in march 1979 lionel Ray Williams was sentenced to 57 years for 10 robberies in the same area as Sal's apartment. Williams said he didn't know who Sal was. And as far as far as it being a hate crime, I think he even said I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but his wife later corroborated that the night that Sal was stabbed, he came home with blood on his clothing. And mm-hmm. also it says that a, it said that a couple correctional officers uh, overheard Williams confessing that he actually did in fact stab Sal. And so just like a random robbery. Totally random, wrong place, wrong time, just random robbery that it, turned murder. Awful. Yeah. I was going to say the heart thing also, it sounds so personal. Like maybe somebody yeah, who was loved a lover. Him. Yeah. yeah, it was a lover. Yeah. <gasps> and that's what the police thought that it was some. That's where I, well, that's what I would think too. Uh, also, I think it's important to note that Sal's character in the movie, watching it today, I like got the signs, um, but maybe in 1955, you wouldn't get the signs. I believe that Sal's character, Plato, was gay. Oh, really? And I Yes. And I feel like the director was giving signs like leaving little clues okay so sal in one of the scenes in the movie um james dean is like the new kid in school and they're in high school and he opens his locker and he has a picture of um like a man mm-hmm. and it's a famous actor i think it's alec ladd or alan ladd um any like a little mirror but it wasn't just i think that was a little hint um putting that picture in there Mm -hmm. from the director director to say like this is actually like a homosexual character um so that viewers would feel like inclus inclusivity well just to say like hey there's like homosexual men like we're out there like because i think the director himself was 
bisexual. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's rumors of James Dean being bisexual. Um, those are just rumors. I don't know. Watching him on camera, he has this, like... Because he's so beautiful. I mean, and he just has this, like, comfortability. Like, he just... It's like most of the time I don't like space boundaries uh, infiltrated. Mm-hmm. But him, he just had this, like... I just don't know if it was, like, a, a security in himself or, like, a comfortability or, like, maybe he was bisexual. He just had a way of, like, and maybe it was a character in this movie that was supposed to show affection because the movie's about teenage angst, but it's also about, like, your manhood and what it means to you and what it looks like on other people, and it's also about fatherhood. And it was just... um so maybe that was intentional. His character didn't have any space boundaries mm-hmm. um, as far as like with men, like very close talking and like, um, you know, but it's kind of like what we talk about with Brad Pitt when you're like Brad Pitt's so attractive and so charming that it's like a man or woman. Everybody loves him. That's kind of the same kind of star power that James Dean had. Also, too, there was just like a space, you know, you just see with like straight men that there's like this certain space that they don't breach. Yes. With like, other men. Like yeah. a closeness, like mm-hmm. a close talking or like mm-hmm. a, a hand holding or a hug or, you know, you don't just don't see that very often outside of your family with like other straight men. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in this movie in particular, James Dean just didn't have those barriers. And it was. That might have been intentional from the director. I too. think I think maybe it was. So anyways. Back to Plato, the character of Plato played by Sal, he, the way that he looked at James, like I'm telling you right now, his character was in love with Jim, which is the name of James' character, Jim. Okay. Um, and he kind of uh, perf- had a veiled um, proclamation of love at one point in the movie. Um, now, haters, I, I think, would say like, oh, it's because Plato didn't have a father figure and Jane, Jim... Um, played by James was his father figure in the movie but I think it was more of like a um I think it was more of like a sexual attraction and like a love towards a a partner um that's what I saw whatever that's just my opinion now I want to watch it even more Uh, you should it's like a it's a great movie it has like a cult following it's like a cult classic yeah um but I really like applaud Nicholas Ray, the director, because I really, I think he was really trying to put, um, like, I really liked the fact that there was a gay character in a 1955 movie. Totally. But it also dealt with, like I said, like, manhood and what that means to certain people and how that's um, shown within families and fatherhood and different fatherhoods and, you know, angsty teens, which we can all relate to. So I can see why that movie was such a big deal. And I'm sure that so many people that watched that really appreciated the effort that the director put into showing all different types of male characters. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then, yeah, uh, Williams actually, um, was paroled in the nineties. The man, the um, the robber. You know what? I actually, my failure on my part, I didn't actually look up if he was charged for it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was charged or if it was just he was already um, serving time. So they're like, okay. Yeah, we can't prove it. Um, yeah, but he was paroled in the 90s. Uh, okay. And then, and, and then we get to Natalie Wood, who was born Natasha Zakarenko. 
on July 20th, 1938, and she was friends with the director, who I mentioned, Nicholas Ray. She asked him multiple times if she could have the part of Judy, which was the female rebel in uh, Rebel Without a Cause. She was 16 at the time, and Nick Nicholas Ray didn't feel like she quite fit the part. But after a night of drinking with girlfriends, Natalie got in a little fender bender and she was sent to the hospital for minor injuries. And Nicholas Ray, being her friend, went to support her at the hospital. And they both overheard one of the nurses or doctors or hospital attendants say she's just a juvenile delinquent. And at that point, Natalie said, see, Nick, see, they said I'm a juvenile delinquent. (laughs) And for whatever reason, that changed Nick Ray's mind and she was set to play Judy. So fast forward to November 28th, 1981 aboard Robert Wagner's yacht named Splendor on their way to Catalina Island. Natalie was on board alongside her husband, Robert Wagner, his co-star Christopher Walken and the ship's captain, Dennis Davern. So they went out there going to Catalina Island. Um, they they were on the ship, the, the four of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all in the same movie, actually. All three of them were co-starring in this movie. I don't know the name off the top of my head. Bird Brain, maybe? Brain something? And Catalina Island is off of like San Diego coast, right? Mm, I think, yeah, I left, I've been there before and I think I left out of Long Beach. Okay. Um, just the people that aren't from California have a sense. It's not that far. It's no. not It's not like going to Hawaii or something. It's no. very, very close. You could take a ferry there. Yeah, it's very, very close to the California coast. So on the morning of November 29th, 1981 at 8 a.m., Natalie's body was found floating in the ocean a mile from splendor and a small dinghy was beached nearby nobody on the yacht knows how natalie ended up in the water her husband robert wagner stated she was not with him when he went to bed and initially dennis davern the captain of splendor stated he overheard wagner and wood arguing the night of her death at the time when he was asked Wagner denied it. However, he stated in his memoir years later that, in fact, they did have an argument that night. According to the autopsy report, Natalie's body was covered in bruises and she had an abrasion on her left cheek. Her alcohol blood level was 0.14. There were traces of motion sickness medicine and a painkiller in her blood. Both substances would amplify the effects of alcohol. The theory is Natalie slipped while trying to board the dinghy, but Natalie's sister had doubts, stating Natalie was terrified of water and she didn't know how to swim, and she would never try to board a dinghy by herself. Two witnesses on a nearby boat claim they heard a woman screaming for help in the middle of the night on December twenty or November 28th. So Christopher Walken, who was on the boat at the time she disappeared and then was found the next morning, he refused to talk about it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then um, 
decades later, he gave an interview to Playboy magazine, and I'm going to read an excerpt from that. Quote, what happened that night, only she knows, because she was alone. She had gone to bed before us, and her room was at the back. A dinghy was bouncing against the side of the boat, and I think she went out to move it. There was a ski ramp that was partially in the water, and it was slippery. I had walked on it myself. She had told me she couldn't swim. In fact, they had to cut a swimming scene from Brainstorm. She was probably half asleep, and she was wearing a coat. Brainstorm is the name of the movie that they all three were starring in. Um, So basically, what he's saying is that she was half asleep. She drank that night. She was wearing a heavy coat because it was November. And that she more than likely slipped off the little plank to move the dinghy because it was hitting the side and she was trying to waking her up yeah so that's his theory um there is a lot of like mysterious circumstances surrounding obviously the unknown nobody saw her nobody heard anything so it's there's always that unknown and i do know that a lot of people have suspicions about her husband yes there was a rumor i think going around that Christopher Walken and Robert Wagner were like fighting for her affection. Um, They had both fallen in love with her during the taping of Brainstorm and that that night they were fighting and they were too busy fighting to like hear that she had fallen overboard um, and she couldn't swim. So obviously, you know, she would, if nobody were to help her, likelihood of her drowning is high. Despite all the mysterious circumstances, the coroner ruled her death accidental drowning and hypothermia. Natalie's mother consulted a psychic when she was younger, and the psychic said, quote, Natalie would be happy, rich, and famous, and she would die by drowning. Oh, my God. Natalie was 43 when she died. So if you think about it, if you look at the numbers, there was a death every decade since the release of rebel without a cause in 1955 whoa yeah 50 was james dean mm-hmm. 60s was nick adams mm-hmm. 70s was sal mineo and the 80s was natalie wood i don't know it's just very strange it's it's just very strange it is very strange i mean is it a curse, a coincidence, or is it something else altogether? I don't know. I think that all of the craziness that happened with the car, isn't that wild? Also just makes me think something. I don't know. That's a lot. I know. I know. So whatever it is, I feel like this, the untimely deaths of the, the stars of this movie, they feed into the cult following. I, I feel like it has totally, some, yeah. you know. But, um, yeah, I think that we will never know if it's a curse. Is it a coincidence? Is it a, I don't know. I mean, obviously there's no way we could ever know, but because they all died in such, like you were saying, such mysterious, bizarre ways. Yeah. It makes it even, I don't know, more enthralling. I know. It's more interesting. I know. So, and that is. Christopher Walken. I know. I feel like it's sad that he was there. I know. I feel like he's nice. I mean, I I do feel like he, yes, nobody, I think it is strange that nobody saw Natalie Wood fall in or nobody heard her cries on the boat. But if they were drinking, if they were in the cabin, yeah. 
you know, and accidents like that happen, unfortunately, all the time. Yeah, very sad. And she was on a boat in the middle of the ocean and she couldn't swim. I know. So the chances of like someone. Why like, did her husband ha- even, why would they even want to do that? I guess she just, I guess she probably felt safe because it's a big boat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder why she wouldn't go ask the captain to, to move the dinghy for her. But obviously, would I? Or I probably would just be like, oh, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. You know? So. Nobody ever thinks anything will happen to them. You know? That is true. That is true. So that is kind of the twisted tale of the, quote, curse of Rebel Without a Cause. Well, you did a great job. Thank you. I didn't know. Any, I, I knew. I mean, I knew about the people. I knew about James Dean and Natalie Wood's deaths. I didn't know about anything else. And there's a lot of sadness there, but yeah. it is it is fascinating. Yeah. So many movies from Hollywood are allegedly cursed. Cursed. Mm-hmm. So many. Yeah. Like I heard that in, what was it? Was it Poltergeist 2 that they actually used real skeletons? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like they just wanted to be cursed at that point. I mean, I don't know why you would do that. You're asking for it. Literally cheaper than plastic skeletons? I... I, you're asking. I don't know why you would do that ever. It just doesn't seem like a smart move. That's showbiz, baby. Yeah, I get. Yeah, that, that is showbiz, baby. But James Dean definitely had that. Uh, that saying. I only that je ne sais quoi, where you just yeah. have that special something. It just translated. It's heartbreaking. He died so young. I oh can only goodness. imagine that he would have had such a full, incredible career. Yeah, I just I don't know. This is me. This is a this is a me thing. Like this is a Cassie thing, but it's similar in the way that this guy is like so out of my age range, but um the fact that Harry Styles just wears what he wants to wear, mm-hmm. whether it's like what society sees normally to be feminine, mm-hmm. is just so attractive to me. And I feel like James Dean had that certain, like... I can see that. He wouldn't... He would hold hands. Like, there's this picture of him in hit before... The day he died, before he left, he went um, to this place and got coffee with his his crew that he was going with. Because um, they were going up to a rally, car rally place in Salinas, California. Mm-hmm. So he brought, like, a station wagon, and he, he drove his car, and he had this mechanic with him. And there's just, like, a picture of him, like with his hands up in the air, like holding hands with his mechanic. And I just feel like it's so attractive to just not have those physical barriers just to just, it's okay to hug for men to hug other men. It's okay for men to hold hands. Like it's like being comfortable in your own skin is the sexiest thing you can do. It really is. I mean, yes, his exterior was fire. Well, he was also very of just his skin <laughs> yeah. and his bone structure yes. and just his hair also, was very sexy. Like, being yourself, you do you, you being confident, you being comfortable in who you are as a person. Yes. That's the sexiest thing. It's just full on like just so sexy. Yeah. To me personally. hundred percent. And I just feel like he just had that where it's just, and it just translated even in 1955. Mm-hmm. And the cinematography and the quality, it just translated just, it was just, you couldn't help. And it said that everybody who met James Dean fell in love with him. And I think he was just one of those people who is just like, was a freaking magnet or had this magnetism that just 
you just loved him and you just wanted to just rub your body on his body. <laughs> okay, maybe that's just this me. Is, <laughs> okay, this is going to a different it's place. Going, <laughs> it's going to a way different place now. <laughs> it's just got so sexy in here. You should see Cassie. Anyways, if you haven't seen Rebel Without a Cause, please watch it. I'm watching it. It, it, watching it was it considered so progressive. Like now these days, no, it's not very progressive. But in 1950, you have to think in 1955, yeah. It was a very, as far as manhood and fatherhood and men in society and how they should be and how they should act and how they should p- portray themselves. It was a, it definitely was interesting take yeah. on it. So, um, yeah, it was, it was cool. And it's also might be cursed and people are still tackling those sort of gender norms, stereotype mm-hmm. kind of issues today. So I can imagine that in the fifties that was fucking yeah, like nuts for people to see that sort of a thing. Yeah, totally. So yeah, it was a good movie and it was, it's even better that it might be cursed in my opinion. <laughs> I'm <laughs> again, laughing at death. I mean, what's wrong with me? I don't know. I I'm not laughing at death. I, I just, I, I'm just uncomfortable. It's okay. It's all right. When we're in hell, we'll say this to the demons. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for listening. And thank um, you for listening to our first episode of our series. Yeah. Holly or happy hour gets Holly weird. Whoop. I don't know why I whooped. Like, what decade am I in? I like it. Am I always in 2000? But is it always just, 2001 for me? You're being your authentic self. Fucking A. But why can't my authentic self be cool like James Dean? Why does it have to be like an uber nerd from 2001? I like I like you as an uber nerd from 2001. Fucking A. That's my favorite version. So we usually end our um, episodes with uh, a little shameless self-promotion. But we thought that uh, with everything going on, we would do something a little bit different, right? Yeah. We're actually going to share a couple books that could get you started if you are feeling in a place where when it comes to uh, racism in America and systemic racism and white supremacy... um, we're going to share a couple books just to kind of get you started. This isn't the end. This is just the beginning. We really need to do the work. But if you have nowhere, you don't know where to go, these are a couple books that you can start with. And um, it's really important that you take responsibility for your education mm-hmm. on systemic racism and white supremacy and how to dismantle it. It is nobody else's responsibility but your own. Just like it's nobody's responsibility but my own to educate myself and Tiffany as well. It is your responsibility. You need to find these. You need to search them out. You can Google uh, books on anti-racism. You can um, Google anti-racism for white people. You need to take those steps. You need to take accountability and you need to take responsibility. Uh, One of those books is Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria and Other Conversations About Race by Beverly Daniel Tatum. Medical Bondage, Race, Gender, and the Origins of American Gynecology by Deidre Cooper Owens. 
white fragility, why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism by Robin D'Angelo. Those are three books to get you started. You can also look for books about racism to for for kids to read to your kids to help them understand what white supremacy is and what white privilege is. Um, and if you have Netflix, there is a documentary called 13th and -hmm. it's about, uh, mass incarceration and how that feeds into systemic racism and white supremacy. So those are a couple resources that you can start with. Like I said, like we said, this is just the start. This is the beginning. We've been silent about this for far too long. We need to start speaking up. This isn't just uh, the black community's problem. This is everybody's problem. And we all need to do something about it. Well said. And thank you for sharing those resources. Super helpful. You're welcome. And on that, don't forget to love yourself Lock your doors. And light some motherfucking sage. A lot of it. Because 2020 fucking needs it. (laughs) 2020 needs all the sage. (laughs) Cheers to that. Literally fuck 2020. I mean, honestly, though, if this never happened in 2020, I think things would just, like, be the same. Hopefully now there's going to be real change. Yes. If nothing else, this horrible year might actually end up causing some good. Yes. Honestly, like, you really have to go through some shit to get to the other side. And we're just in the shit right now. We're in the shit right now. But fucking A, I hope we learned something this time. Oh, God. Me too.